Hey friends, welcome to Boca, a podcast exploring the ever-blurring lines between the personal and business lives of professional photographers. This is your host, Nathan Holritz, and I'm happy that you can join me today in connecting with photographers and entrepreneurs as we discuss photography, business, and oh yeah, that sometimes messy thing that we call life. This podcast is brought to you by Photographer's Edit, custom image editing for the wedding and portrait photographer. Just visit photographersedit.com. All right, Boca Podcast listeners, we're here. Uh, I say we are here. My friend, my new friend, Carrie Wild, and I are here at WPPI, the trade show and convention in Las Vegas. It's 2018, and I have the opportunity to do a couple of interviews while I'm here. But, Carrie, thank you so much for making time for the Boca Podcast today. Well, thank you so much, Nathan, for having me on. I love um, actually listening to your podcast. I've listened to quite a few of them, and um, I'm super excited to be here. So thanks for having me. Well, and thank you for making time. I think we had this conversation before. I said that the podcast is kind of an ex- ongoing experiment. We've been at it now for about a year and a half, but it's been a good lesson for me in how to be a better conversationalist. And I feel like I still have ways to go. So I, it, it's an active practice, if you will. But um, I want to start the podcast off again, as we normally do, with something that's called the aha moment. And very simply, that's maybe the biggest or hardest lesson that you may have learned as uh, well, you own multiple businesses, and we're going to get into this here in just a little bit, but as a photography business owner, maybe more specifically. You know, the first thing that came to mind when you said that was um, when I was leaving my previous career, um, I have some really great mentors when I was starting my business, my photography business, and um, one thing that one of them said really stuck in my mind, and it was, you know, you have this fear of leaving one career and starting another, and what she told me is she said, you know, the experience that you've had in the past, no one can ever take that away from you. And you can always carry it with you. And that is, you know, life experience and expertise that you have. And you can always use it in the future if you need to. So that kind of made the fear that I had on maybe taking the jump to do this full time, like kind of dissipate because I realized I still had, you know, something behind me that I could always rely on if I wanted. And we're gonna talk a little bit how that's actually applicable on a practical level in photography. What was the previous career, if you'll just mention that briefly, though? Sure. So I am actually a nerd at heart. I have an engineering background. I graduated from Purdue University with an industrial engineering background, and I'm not a creative person, is how I would, what I would say, except with photography. <laughs> so it's kind of crazy. I used to do a lot of international travel with the company that I worked for, and that's kind of how I got into photography initially is just photographing people and really, really cool places that I got to go to for work, and it was just amazing, and that's how I fell in love with photography. So what I, cool places. Like, I'm, I'm already kind of jealous now. <laughs> what, what kind of cool places did you get to go? I... You know, it was really cool because the company I worked for had was an you know, international company, tons and tons of different opportunities. And so I made sure that I got into some positions where I could do that type of travel. So I've been to Rio 15 times, Buenos Aires probably 10 times, um, gosh, all over Europe. South Africa was my very last um, trip before we relocated to Florida. And so, I mean... I, you know, those are places that you dream to go to or that are on your bucket list. And I got to go like numerous, numerous times. It was really such, you know, I learned so much by traveling internationally and meeting all different kinds of people. There is, there is something really beautiful about the opportunity. And I think maybe you and I even talked about this before, not only to travel, but then to be able to take your, your kids and travel with them. The perspective that it, that it lends to their development as individuals is pretty significant um, I had, I've had the wonderful opportunity to travel both internationally and then, of course, nationally here stateside as well. I grew up in Japan, and I, I like to think that it's lent perspective to, or lended perspective to um, my development as an individual, but then also my ability to be able to engage with other people, too. And, and I look forward to doing much more of that. South Africa, speaking of bucket list, South Africa is definitely one of those that I'd, I'd love to go to. Whereabouts in South Africa did you go? We were working on a project in Johannesburg, so the company I worked for had purchased another company, and we had to integrate both offices together, and so it was, I mean, I was, gosh, 24, 25 when I was doing this, and so it was always me and a bunch of men, and you know, they would just like work the entire time and not do anything fun, but whenever I went on trips, I would make them 
do something cool. So I made all these, you know, suits. Like, we went to this, um, we went on a safari, and we stayed in these, like, tree houses. And it was the coolest thing ever to see, like, all these animals, legit, like, safari lions right next to you, you know, next to the Jeep and everything. And so it was really funny because they kind of complain about it but afterwards like they totally appreciated that I always made them do something cool I've done I've made my coworkers do all kinds of crazy stuff on these trips and it's you know it's really fun like I love doing that kind of stuff so are you just naturally the adventurous type like what, what's something in fact this is a really good segue to my next question just I want to know something random about you I, I want to and I want our listeners to learn a little bit more about you too but like do, are you the adventurous type just naturally what's some other crazy things that you've done before oh man Gosh, I am really, I am really adventurous. I will try pretty much anything once, except for things that have a good potential that you could die. Now that I have kids, <laughs> so like, I used to want to go skydiving and I never did before we had kids. And now I'm like, <gasps> I don't, I really want to be here for them. Like, you know. But we've done a ton of travel, and I've been to so many of these places by myself, and um, I've been on mission trips my very first one was um in the philippines um outside way on one of the little 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 tiny islands where it's actually really dangerous it's a very high um you know population of um you know attacks that happen especially on there's not many tourists that go there but just really crazy dangerous places i've been to haiti on a mission trip i actually just went to cuba last year and it was a wedding mission trip that was amazing so I love to go places and show people things that they normally would never ever go and do on their own because it's too dangerous or it costs too much or you just don't think you could do it so I love doing that kind of stuff I would say in terms of being like really adventurous but I have to say you gotta try skydiving it's (laughs) I've been twice and it's absolutely amazing it's absolutely worth it and you you really truly feel like you can rule the world when you land you know like you've I mean, you could look at it as, I guess, defeating death in a way, but it's it's that just sheer exhilaration that I have not had any comparable experience to. It's absolutely amazing. Maybe I'll have to um, add that on my bucket list. <laughs> absolutely. absolutely. Now, I want to I know a little bit about your family, and maybe you can share with our listeners as well. And you've got a really interesting story to go along with that, but tell us a little bit about your family. So I have been married, it'll be 13 years this year. My husband, David, is not a photographer. Only when I set it up perfectly and have him push the button on the iPhone is pretty much all you're going to get. But we actually met when I was on a work assignment in New Orleans, and he was in grad school. um, And he actually was in seminary, so he is a pastor, and um, our church is just launching satellite campuses, essentially. So it's kind of like a startup. Like both of us are, you know, very entrepreneurial now, and it's really, really cool. Um, And then we have two daughters that are four and almost four, so only four months apart, which isn't humanly possible. (laughs) I love it when I say that because people are always so confused, so confused. Um, But both of my girls are adopted, and that is something that I had... Ever since I was a little kid, I always remember saying that I wanted to have a family through adoption. Like, I've never really cared about, you know, getting pregnant, like that kind of thing. Like, I just knew that's what I wanted to do. And so we were foster parents first, and then both of our girls were um, private, open adoption. So both from Tampa, we know the birth moms and things like that. So that's all transpired within the last, you know, five years because they're three and four. So definitely interesting ride that I never would have imagined how it could have gone. And how do you guys like to spend your time together, like free time together? Are there certain things that you like to go do? Do you travel together? What does that look like? Well, I love that term free time (laughs) because it's, I feel like it doesn't really exist unless you make it happen. Um, And something that I've done over the last actually the first five years of my business is I worked a ton like I actually love working um, and I worked really really hard so that when we did have a family I had things relatively under control so that I could really spend time with my kids and so um, they're in daycare full-time because we both work full-time but when they're not in daycare and when I'm with them it's you know my focus is 100% on them 
And we do, we have traveled together as a family. I had a wedding in Portugal um, two years ago. So we took two one-year-olds to Europe, which I can't believe my husband agreed to it because he, I, I still can't believe he agreed to it, but we did. And it was amazing. They're not going to remember it, but there's pictures, um, you know, and there's those big things that you do. But honestly, I love just doing the little things with my kids and like seeing them so excited and experienced like you know going out for ice cream or you know just any new experience like this year they were three around the holidays so we did every single holiday cool thing around Tampa that we could find to do and I think one of the reasons I enjoy that specifically so much is because when I'm with them experiencing that I honestly don't think about or worry about anything else like my full focus is on them and um you know, it's then you're not worrying about work or, you know, oh, I have to contact this client back or what's going to happen with this. Like, it's just like I can fully experience like being with them because that's, you know, where my focus is. And I love it. We're, we're here at WPPI and, and our friends are walking by and, and, and saying, <laughs> hey, um, it's always it's always a great atmosphere to be in when you get to see it's, it's almost like a big reunion every year, which is so much fun. But um, I, you made a statement there that was interesting to me, and, and it's kind of hearkening to a theme that's been very consistent on the podcast as of late, which is the idea of you just have to make the time. And I usually ask our guests, how do you create that free time? And, and something that's come up as of late is just simply that notion of there's not necessarily a, a particular tool or a tip or a trick. It's just a matter of doing it. You've got to just make the decision and do it. Would you agree with that? Or what's your experience been? I totally agree with that. And I actually, pretty much all the podcasts I feel like I've listened to, there's been a really great family element and advice that comes with, you know, how to prioritize that. And for me, I feel like it's all about boundaries. And so what I've established is, you know, I work from my office to my studios at my house, but totally separate, but I have specific office hours. And if I'm not in my office, I'm not working. So I don't have my laptop like on the kitchen table, you know, like I'm not answering work emails or phone calls or whatever when it's not during my work hours. Same with like weekends and things like that. I shoot weddings, but Sunday, unless I'm shooting a wedding is hundred percent my day off. And that's our family time. You know, that's what we do. So if you don't do that, there's just so many other distractions in life that are going to be fighting for your time and you really have to prioritize what is important. And to me, my kids and like they're already four, which I can't believe, but you know, before you know it, they're going to be graduated and not in the house anymore. And once that happens, you have plenty of time to work or, you know, do whatever. So it's all about prioritizing. And we were talking about this before we hit the record button, but it's one thing to say that someone is important. It's another thing to act on it. And you and I have both had similar experiences with friends or otherwise where we hear that, hey, we should get together sometime, but they don't follow through on it. And um, we've both prioritized. You were talking about how you and your husband have prioritized this with your friends where you're making sure that you're spending time with them um, and, and actually following through on that, scheduling that time, making it happen. That's something that I'm trying to do much more in my life right now. And I think this is really important, especially when it comes to having families, kids, um, and I'm particularly sensitive to this with mine, where it's one thing to say, hey, I love you. It's another thing to actually act on that. And part of, part of acting on that love, I, I think, at least from personal experience, both growing up myself and then also experience as a parent, is giving quality focused time to my kids. I can show them by my actions that they're important to me. And so it's one thing to say, yeah, we're, we're trying to uh, make time for our kids, make time for our family. It's another thing to follow through on it. And at the end of the day, it is a choice and we just simply have to do it. And I think that's so important. Mm -hmm. I think what came to mind when you just said that was the difference between having intentions to do something and being intentional and having intentionality in what you're actually doing. So, you know, like we were talking about earlier, I have friends all the time who are like, oh, you know, let's go out to lunch or let's do this. And so they're, they really do have good intentions, but they're not being intentional because they're not going the step further to actually pull out the calendar and, you know, set that up or do that. So I think there's a difference between like wanting to do something and taking the step to actually do it and I think when you do like you can live life and get to know people in such a richer 
more beneficial way for both you and them. For everybody. It's so true. Yeah, yeah. Let's transition a little bit to, to business. And, and as I mentioned earlier, you have multiple businesses. Let's kind of focus at least initially on the, the photography business. How long ago did you start your photography business and how did you even get into it in the first place? I started my photography business actually in January of 2008. And so I actually consider my 10-year anniversary is October 15th of this year because that's the day that I quit my full-time career in the corporate world. (laughs) So that's kind of my date that I use. And I quit on that date because it was the day after my one-year anniversary, so I didn't have to pay my relocation package back. (laughs) So it worked out, I feel like, pretty well. Um, But I had, we relocated to Florida very shortly before that. So I've lived in Florida now for, um, it'll be, gosh, 11 years this year. And my husband's from Florida, and initially um, we met in New Orleans, but he moved to Chicago. That's where I I lived, and he was there for two winters. We got married up there, and then it snowed on his birthday, which is in April, and he's like, peace out. No more Midwest for us. So uh, we looked at several different cities and ended up being in Tampa, and so... Before we moved, I, that's when I had done, been doing all that traveling and had gotten into photography. And so I didn't know like how to shoot technically or anything like that um, You know when I first started. So I worked for my friend's parents' photography company in Illinois, and they shoot volumes of little kid sports. And it's all very technical, so you have to shoot a specific way, and it's like boom, boom, boom. They batch everything. like It's got to be on point. And so I was kind of that like late, mid-20s age range, and all my friends were getting married. I loved weddings. And so when we moved to Tampa and I got another corporate job uh, for that first year, I decided to start my photography business. And I learned that in Florida there's actually two wedding seasons, and it's warm, so you can shoot you know, year-round. So I had set my goals of what I needed to have saved and how many clients I needed to have booked before I actually quit my full-time career. And I hit that the first year. What would you say was, I guess, what enabled that quick growth in business that enabled you to to, to leave your business or leave your corporate job so quickly? Because that's, first of all, that's that's always a nerve-wracking move, right? To go from having a, quote, regular job, something that's steady, reliable, to going full-time, but it's also not necessarily the norm to be able to do so that quickly. So was there a particular thing that enables you to do that? What, what was it? I, well, I am a highly motivated individual. <laughs> so when I set goals, especially ones that are pretty rigorous, I tend to hit them. And I think my previous career in the business background and really the networking part was so, so important because when I moved to Florida, I didn't know, we didn't know anybody at all. I didn't know anything about the wedding industry and I really didn't know anything about having a photography business. So I joined the Tampa chamber and started working with a small business office and set up some realistic goals of what it would look like to replace my income because it was, you know, pretty good one. (laughs) That was nice and that, you know, is not easy to walk away from. And so I took some business workshops actually through PPA. I took their, you know, three-day business intensive workshop and I learned the appropriate way to price and market and book clients and things like that. And so that set me off on a really great path to be able to accomplish those goals. And we'll have to make sure to link to those PPA resources in the show notes for the podcast too, because I think that would be really, really good. But I, I love the fact that you had some clear goals. I think a lot of times, and I know I can speak personally, when I got into photography business, and I've, I mentioned this before in the podcast, but I, I got into photography largely because I thought it was cool to you know, buy a, a fancy or an expensive camera and go take some pictures. I was all of, I think, 21 at the time. You know, I had no clue. Um, but to actually have clear goals in mind then enables you to be able to establish a business model that will support those goals. And that's a really important thing to, to understand. And even for photography business owners who maybe have already been in business in some form or fashion for even a two or three years, if they don't have those clear goals established, what I refer to as a big picture view, then it's important to go ahead and establish those now because it will help guide you. A lot of photographers will talk, for example, about how do I price myself? You, you talked about pricing. 
how do I price myself? A lot of that can be determined just simply by understanding what it is that you're reaching toward, having those very clear goals in place. That's so important. And I'm not surprised that that ultimately enables you to be able to move so quickly. Yeah, I think I think especially, you know, understanding how to be profitable as a business, which with PPA, that's what I learned. I had I came to them because I was like, I know I need to do this and I have no idea what it should be. And so once you figure that out, then it sets you on a path to be able to actually set realistic goals and knowing what I think equally as important is knowing what the steps are to actually attain them because you can set goals. But, you know, if I set a goal of I want to make $20 million, like, that's not really realistic as a photographer, you know, like... Come on, you got to think big. <laughs> <laughs> right? I know. So I think it's also the steps of what you need to do and if it's possible to get there, you know, or is really, really important as well. But I like that you make that distinction as well. There's, there's a difference between goals and then the steps... Uh, or something that we've alluded to in the podcast multiple times now is it's the difference between when you're talking about managing a project or a task. They're two different things, right? A project is made up of multiple tasks or steps. And that's it's very, very similar in this case. Having a really clear goal is one thing, but then the question is how are you going to get to that place? So then being able to define what those steps are is really, really important. That's good. That's good. And I think it's a good reminder for all of us, even me now. It's It's important certainly up front to establish those goals, but it's important also to continue to maintain a certain set of goals and then understand what it is that you're doing in order to attain those goals. I think it's really important as business owners. So I, I, I love this question. I'm really curious. You said you were, you're a nerd earlier. So what is some of the favorite gear in your camera bag? Do you have a favorite like camera body or lens or accessory or something like that? You know, I... This isn't actually like, I mean, it's gear, but it's not a camera. Um, but I love the spider belt because I shoot weddings and I usually shoot with two cameras. And that thing is awesome. So shout out to them because I've been using that for the last four or five years probably. And it is a game changer. And especially when you're shooting like long-term stuff, like, or, you know, multiple hours like weddings. But I shoot with... Um, 5D Mark Threes, and I love 70 to 200. is probably my favorite. I wish I could just use that always. I mean, obviously you're much closer sometimes. <laughs> I do like the macro too, the hundred uh, macro as well. But I just love how those lenses look. I'm kind of a minimalist too, so I don't, I'm, I don't have like tons of ridiculous stuff. I just have like here's the main things. If there's something I have that I don't use, I actually usually sell it, or I don't buy it in the first place. So. Because I don't, I'm like, I get distracted too easily. So I just want to have a few things that I love working with. That's usually, I, there, there's one lens though. That I used to have the 35 and I didn't use it that much. So I sold it. But now I think I need to get it again because I do love how it looks. So I'm going to buy that again. We'll make sure to link to that the spider holster in, in the show notes too. I know that um, that is quite a popular accessory out there. And it enables you to just kind of almost like drop your camera on your belt, right? And you don't have to think about carrying it around. That's it's so convenient. Um, I understand you also have a team of photographers. Is that correct? So tell us just a little bit about that. I have um, a graphic designer, and then I have um, five photographers that work with me. So I have two other lead photographers besides myself, and then um, I have two, sometimes three, second shooters, uh, depending on who's where. So from the beginning, I'm a team person, so I always knew... I didn't want it to be just me, and so over the years I've had, um, you know, people that have worked with us, and usually for numerous years at a time, who love shooting and really just want to, you know, take amazing pictures, use their talent, but not necessarily have to do all the other things like booking and marketing and contracts and all that kind of stuff. As a, um, I guess with the engineering background, when you're going into business, were you thinking about were you planning on building a team from the get-go just because it made more sense from, uh, I guess, that engineering perspective? Like, as opposed to, you know, I, I think about, like, the t in many cases, the typical photographer being the artist type. It's all about the art going into it. You seem to come at this whole thing from a much more kind of logistical, practical place, which is really interesting. It's, it's kind of unique in the photography industry. We're going to talk a little bit more about that here in just a little bit. But um, was, that, was that kind of the thought process behind it? Did, did you... Do you place more of a priority or importance on the workflow and the business versus the creation of the art to begin with? 
think it's funny when people call me an artist because I don't feel like I you know I feel like artists I feel I think of like you know Van Gogh or like that in terms of artists which photographers are definitely artists um, but for me I wanted I wanted to set up the business first and I love I actually love business and I love all the different facets of it and you know it is an art form but at the same time if you're if I'm going to spend hours and hours of my life doing it it has to be set up so that it's profitable and that I'm able to pay my mortgage and go on vacation and spend time with my kids so I think you know the art part of it is important but it also, if you're going to do it as a business, it has to be profitable and it has to be something that you're not going to just burn out on and then give up in two or three years because you hate it so much because you're chained to your desk, you know, 24-7. Well, and you talk about being chained to your desk 24-7 and you also mentioned the word profit. What I think a lot of photography business owners don't keep in mind is the fact that the amount of time they invest in their business um, can affect the actual bottom line, right? Because our time is, I mean, as much as it seems like a cliche phrase, our time is actually worth a certain amount of money in the end. And if we're not building a business that runs efficiently and is scalable, then we end up eating into that actual profit. So you've been able to build a business that is driven by, well, it has a scalable model, right? It's driven by a team of people versus just simply relying on you, which means that you have a bit more freedom, more flexibility in the long run. And um, your time uh, is, well, a little bit more free. Not everything is riding on you. You have a team of people that are helping you scale that effort, and that's really powerful. Mm-hmm. I love when I am off on a Saturday, maybe at the beach or you know, doing something fun like swimming or whatever, and if I have a team out shooting a wedding, that's fabulous. Like, I love it, and I'm totally, you know, that's like one of my favorite things is when I have teams out working and you know, doing what they love to do, and I'm not (laughs) you know like I'm on vacation or I'm doing x y and z you know like that is what you know you can scale things to a certain amount so I think it's also about knowing um what your scalability is so for me just over the years I've learned that really more than three teams isn't scalable for me anymore because I'm not then able to offer the same experience and the same quality because I do all the sales meetings and, you know, I do meetings and things like that. So if I scale it more than that, then it's going to, the value of what we do and the experience isn't going to be the same. And I want to keep it all at the same level that it currently is. So I think it's knowing what that scalability is as well. Because, you know, you would think, oh, maybe I can scale it to like 20 or 30 teams, that kind of thing. And you, I could, but my business would look totally different than it does now. That's good that you have some some self-awareness there, too, and that you can make that distinction. We've mentioned on this podcast before the book, The E-Myth Revisited. And for those of you listening in who've never read that book before, it's it's such a powerful book when it comes to understanding this idea of building a business that's scalable and that doesn't actually require your involvement all the time. I think it's really important to understand how that works. We've talked a little bit about your engineering background. Um, do you find it, and you even alluded to that idea of you being an artist you know, versus a business owner, do you find it difficult to kind of turn off the, the analytical, more logical side of your brain and, and be the more creative person? What, what is that like for you? You know, it's funny because whenever I'm shooting, whether it's you know, a portrait session or a wedding, I actually tune everything else out. And I just am there and I love it so much and I'm in the moment and, you know, looking for all of those amazing moments that are going to happen, especially like, you know, a wedding and that kind of thing. So I'm able to focus just on that. And I really don't think I kind of compartmentalize, like I don't think about the business part at all when I'm shooting. But if you think about it, the amount of time that you're shooting is a lot less than the amount of time that you're actually working on your business, you know? So I love it because I'm a, like, I can literally tune out everything else. Like I've photographed weddings when there's, you know, we've had things going on with our family that were really hard and like, I can still focus and shoot the wedding and do an amazing job because I love it so much. And I'm not thinking about anything else when I'm doing that. So do you find that we're talking about building a scalable business and, of course, a team, which is, is really powerful and really could be another podcast episode in and of itself, I'm sure. That, that's quite a project. But do you find that you are, maybe you have a tendency toward efficiency that not every creative 
does? I mean, do you have a knack for workflow and efficiency in that in that sense? I love all things efficient and workflow. <laughs> Just because I'm an industrial engineer, so that's what we do. Like, it's all workflow efficiency and that kind of thing. So even sometimes, like, I'll look at things we're doing and see how much time it's actually taking me to do it. And if I can change something so that it's way faster, I'm going to do that. So I actually recently... I timed how long it takes me to cull images. I hate culling images. Like, I hate it so much. But I used to do all of it, you know, for all of our weddings. And then my graphic designer would ever edit everything. So I timed myself, and it would take me, you know, like, two or three hours to cull everything. And then another hour to pick, like, blog images. And so now I just pay my graphic designer, and he does it. So it was something that now I can blog a wedding in, you know, like... 30, 40 minutes versus before I'm pre-sorting and, you know, spending three or four hours. So I like to always look at how we can do things faster and better because it just gives you more time to do other things that you love just as much, if not more. Well, and, and also, and I don't think we emphasize this enough, a lot of the focus when we talk about saving time centers around relationships, which I think at the end of the day are, are the most important or certainly some of the most important things that we should be allocating our time and effort and energy toward. But if you save time as a business owner, it also, especially when it comes to saving time, not having to do busy work like culling images, it also means that you can focus on things that are going to actually grow the business, which is so important too. So I think it's important we make that distinction. What are maybe a few of the biggest workflows or workflow efficiencies that you've put in place in your business that have made the most dramatic, um, I guess, or have had the most dramatic impact on your business and the way that it runs? Initially, the first kind of way that I thought of that was in the beginning of the business when I, you know, you do everything when you're first starting. And so I listed out the things that I hate doing and I decided that I had to get rid of those specific things. So number one was editing for sure <laughs> because it's so many images and you're just spending tons and tons of time. Um, editing those. So I was able to hire a graphic designer, another friend of mine that was a photographer, him and I hired him together. So I didn't have, you know, to, you know, pay one person like everything, like we kind of shared that. And then um, the second thing that I hate, that I've always hated is following up on inquiries. So, you know, you have to track people down and call them and email them and, you know, see how they're doing in terms of if they're going to book or not. So one of my lead photographers, um, she is totally fine with that. So she's my studio manager, and she does all those follow-ups. And we have specific, um, you know, dates that we follow up and how we follow up in terms of calling and texting and emailing. And to go along with that, kind of the third thing that even allows me to do that at all is a workflow system. So I use ShootQ. I've used it for, you know, eight years. And that allows my studio manager and I to see what each other has done with each of our clients as well as you can write you know five all your emails can be set in there and then you can just choose one and personalize it and send it so you can write an email in you know 20 seconds instead of five minutes and you're not continuing to do the same exact things over and over and over that you would spend a ton of time on it's already there and you can just do it you know almost automatically okay so i want to go back to all three of these things because i think we could probably spend like an hour in each right but um, when it comes to editing, and especially for somebody who loves workflow efficiency, how did you learn to communicate what it was that you wanted in the editing process to this person who's handling the editing for you? Because a lot of photographers get apprehensive that handing editing over to somebody else, another company or another person, somebody in-house or otherwise, um, that their style is going to be lost in the process. How did you, and, and I think a lot of that has to do with I think a lot of photographers aren't used to playing a managerial role, right? When you're a manager, you have to learn how to communicate what needs to be done effectively so that your employees can effectively carry out that task. A lot of photographers as sole proprietors aren't used to being in that position. So how did you learn how to communicate what you wanted when it came to editing? I think, I think what you just said about being able to communicate what you need to happen is so important because I think that's one of those things that you, you know, artists I think a lot of times think that they're the only ones that can do something and so therefore that they should do everything but quite frankly there's a lot of people that are really good at stuff and maybe even better than you are but if you can effectively train someone or communicate to them what you want um, it does take trial and error you know to get to that point but 
you know, the value that it's going to give you of time that you can put back into shooting more or, you know, you might like calling your clients back, you know, whatever that happens to be, it's going to give you that time to do more of what you love versus, you know, doing the things that you don't. Did you have a, or do you have a, a, a particularly difficult or complicated editing style that you were having to then communicate to, to this editor? Or what did that, what did that whole process look like? When you said, when you sat down, gave them the images and said, I want you to do this editing, this is how you're going to do it. What did that, what did that look like? What did that conversation sound like? It started out, and this was a long time ago, so I actually have to think back to it because <laughs> it's been almost 10 years now. Um, but what we would do is sit down and I edited, you know, would edit 20 images and then kind of talk through what I like and why I did certain things and what I didn't like and that kind of thing. And then, um, you know, I would have him work on images and then it was a lot of feedback, like back and forth feedback, like him asking questions and, you know, tweaking a lot of things to get to that point, you know, where we needed to be. And also over time, like, your talent and what you're doing should evolve as well. So, like, what we do now, editing-wise, I actually like minimal editing. Like, my style is timeless photojournalism. So I love, you know, beautifully shot images in whatever the lighting medium is, whether it's natural light, off-camera flash, video light. But I love when you look at the back of the camera and you're like, that was that beautiful moment. You know, I really don't need to do much to it at all. So, of course you do, you know color mat do all kind you have to do that because we shoot in raw and all that kind of stuff um and then you might turn some things black and white but it's really just getting you know to know that person getting to know what you want and communicating those things and when it's not what you want giving that feedback so that you can give that give them a chance to actually you know turn it into something that you know works really well for your business and he's way better at me way better than me at editing like I don't need to do any of it because he's so good at it, you know, but it did take a long time to kind of get that right. And then we always, we tweak it over the years as time goes on too. I love that you emphasize the fact that there is a back and forth. Um, one of the things that I've experienced at Photographer's Edit, and we've been in business now for about 10 years, is I think a lot of photographers kind of assume that they hand those images to us that we're just going to naturally figure out what it is that they want versus understanding the fact that there is a relationship there. And obviously any relationship takes communication to establish it or to, to develop it, right? And it's particularly important that there's a lot of back and forth, a lot of communication in this process of learning somebody else's style. And it seems as though you were certainly okay with that idea that there would be a conversation, a back and forth. This person edits the images for you. You give them a little bit of feedback. They make some tweaks, adjustments, and changes and are able to better follow your instruction as a result. And I think it's so important for photographers to keep in mind that in a relationship where you're working with somebody else, whether you're outsourcing accounting or you're outsourcing editing or album design, there's got to be communication there in order for the relationship to work. Mm -hmm. I think that's, that's one thing that people have a hard time with is giving feedback. And especially, you know, they're hiring you guys to edit their images so you know I know you're super open to what that feedback is so that you can help make their end product better and it it does take some time and people have to be willing no matter what type of person you're hiring you have to be willing to put that time in but the reward that you're going to see once you do put that time in is so so worth it and it does you know it's an extra step to do that but you know you're going to be able to spend so much more time doing the things you love and you know they're probably going to get a lot better at it than you would be and so then your clients are going to be happier as well that's great that's great now you mentioned the communication piece you don't you prefer not to have to manage the communication or the follow-up with a client or potential client and you mentioned three different types of communication email phone call and then text messaging i'm curious on the text messaging side is that are we talking about just regular old text messaging with your, your phone app, or do you have a messaging platform that you use for that? What does that workflow look like? I was, I don't know if it's late to the game of texting clients. I was actually not for it up until last year. But, you know, in this world of where there's instant communication all the time, um, it's, I feel like, you know, everybody communicates in different ways. So a lot of our clients, they only text and they hardly ever check their emails. So what I changed our communication process is, is once we send them, you know, if they inquire through email and they put their phone number in there, 
um, whether my studio manager or myself and emails them initially, I'll text them from my cell phone, which is my business phone as well. I don't actually use an app or anything for that. I probably should look into <laughs> a texting app. Um, but I email them and basically let them know, you know, hey, if you have any questions, we just sent you info over. And I've literally set up consultations within 30 seconds of brides who are like, oh my gosh, thank you so much for texting me. I'm at work and I don't check my emails very often. So you can kind of learn what people's um, communication style is in terms of what works best for them. I have some people who like, they never answer a text because they would rather pick up the phone or they do answer their emails all the time. And in our initial questionnaire we send to people as well, we ask them their preferred method of communication and people will always tell you what that is. So then we try to follow it. Um, you know, but there's so many photographers out there, like instant communication is really, really important and follow up. And, you know, that's the way that, you know, people are like, oh my gosh, thank you so much for following up with me. And so it really just allows you to book more clients, honestly. Well, you know, speaking of different types of platforms and apps and, and, and there may be multiple, there likely are multiple solutions out there, but I use Google voice personally, which enables me to be able to give, whether I'm just signing up for an account for something online um, and I have to put a phone number in, I can put that phone number in there so I don't have a bunch of telemarketers calling my personal cell number. Um, or messaging, um, same thing, I can actually create cutoff hours, so certain hours where this phone number is active and then it turns off after the fact. So I don't have clients constantly calling me, for example, after 5 p.m. or whatever it is the time that I've actually set up. You can actually create parameters or boundaries with that platform. It's free to set up. Um, and I've been using Google Voice for quite a while. And, of course, they have voice to text, which is really, really nice as well. So for incoming voicemail, I can, I can look at the transcription. Um, they did that long, long time before Apple ever did with their, with their voicemail. So you talked about, speaking of platforms, ShootCue. And... I think one of the, the apprehensions that photographers have, whether it was ShootCue or other platforms, when they're setting up workflows or a CSM or CRM to help manage their client base, one of the big apprehensions is it's going to take so much time up front to set up all of the systems within a platform like that. What would your response be to them if, if just to kind of play devil's advocate a little bit, what would you say? It kind of goes back to what we were talking about with when you're giving feedback to if you're hiring, you know, an editor or a studio manager or anything like that. Um, it takes, it does take time. It's definitely not easy. Over the years, it's become way easier. Like when I start, first started using ShootQ like eight years ago, I mean, they just did, actually just did a new release and it's a hundred times more simple. And I know a lot of the systems obviously have done huge, you know, upgrades to what they do. But the whole point of all of those is to make it easier to run your business. And it's really just not realistic long-term to run your business on a spreadsheet or, you know, things like that. So there are so many things out there that you can take advantage of. And most of them have, you know, either people or videos or steps to walk you through setting that up because you, if you want your business to grow and also to be sustainable, you know, for the future, you have to set those things up so that, you know, you have things in place that might allow you to hire a studio manager or, you know, just make it easier so that you don't have to be like on spreadsheets all the time and trying to manage your finances and all that kind of stuff. Well, and there really are so many moving parts that we have to manage as photography business owners to have that or a large portion of that anyway in one place in a system like ShootQ is so important. Um, so this is really good recommendation for our, for our listeners. Now, in addition to, to ShootQ, you actually started, a, you didn't start ShootQ, but in addition to using ShootQ, um, you did start a company called WeddingWiz, speaking of workflow and platforms. And I'd love for you just to talk a little bit about what WeddingWiz is and how that benefits photographers. WeddingWiz has been a labor of love <laughs> and hate sometimes over the last, gosh, four years. I've been teaching... Um, for quite a number of years now. And, you know, when you're teaching there, you know, you people are like, you need to sell something, you need to promote something. And I was like, gosh, you know, I don't really have anything that I can think of. And so I was actually sitting down with Angela Kirkian at lunch. It was at an imaging conference. And so she's like, come up with something that is workflow related, of course, exactly like we're talking about here. So kind of the missing piece in all of the workflow systems out there was a tool for photographers to easily collect information from their couples for the day of. So people, places, details, you know, vendors, all that kind of stuff. 
and easily create a day of schedule without, you know, because before what I was doing is just sending a questionnaire, you have to copy all the text, format it, you know, save it in Word, email it, that kind of thing. So what WeddingWiz does is it automatically sends that schedule and then you can just click generate PDF when your couple submits all the info and it automatically creates that day of schedule that you can then text, um, email, you can print it if you want to and it takes the time out of every single time recreating that schedule um, for your weddings because you know it's funny that there are so many tools out there for photographers but when you shoot weddings the most important thing you're shooting is the wedding itself and so I decided to develop the tool that wasn't there (laughs) and so I learned a ton along the way you know working with developers and creating a essentially a startup tech company and um, it's actually gone really well and I've gotten a lot of great feedback and um, you know I was able to exhibit it at imaging this past January for the first time so it was one of those kind of items on my to-do list that it was really big that I didn't know if whatever happened and it actually happened. <laughs> and when we when I think about a wedding day timeline too, having shot weddings for about 10 years myself, one of the things that um, when it comes to timeline ends up happening is you're collaborating with a, a wedding coordinator and wedding coordinator, assuming there is one for the wedding or a wedding planner, um, they may have their own timeline. How does this work in collaboration, or does it work in collaboration with a wedding coordinator? It works really, really well with wedding coordinators. And also, if you even take it back one step further, I use it as a selling point to my couples before I even book them because I let them know, you know, two months before the wedding, we're going to send you a really simple questionnaire to fill out online. And it's going to ask you all the important things that we need to know to make sure we can anticipate everything. So, from the beginning, it sets up in our couple's mind that we're the expert and that we're totally going to take care of everything we need to and that we know what they want. And so then also with wedding planners, a lot of times wedding planners now, they know I use this and I do it. And so they'll actually ask me for my photography timeline, which we all know is a million times shorter than a wedding planning timeline. So I'll give them the main chunks of time that I need and then they fill in all the details. So, um, you know, for planners who are really collaborative, it works really, really well because they understand what I need as a photographer to capture the important parts of the day. And then it allows them to create a realistic timeline for all the other things that are going to happen. So you got, you have your photography business with multiple employees, you've got wedding whiz, and then as though you didn't have enough to do already, you also started a fan foundation. And I'd love for you to share a little bit about that, too. It's a really beautiful effort and, and, and project. Yeah. Well, thank you. I, I really appreciate um, you mentioning that and bringing up because it's definitely nothing that was ever planned that I ever would imagine that I would have a nonprofit. Um, but I really, truly believe that beyond work, each of us is placed here to figure out in life how we are supposed to make the world a better place. And so when my husband and I became foster parents, we really learned how great a need there is out there for families to become foster parents as well as adopt. There's over 500,000 kids in the U.S. in the foster system. And, um, you know, so many of them need to be adopted. So we had a actually really tragic foster story and all this. I'm not even going to get into it because it's so crazy. But so throughout that, afterwards, we were able to adopt our two little girls pretty quickly after. And what I heard from people all the time was, you know, oh, we would love to adopt, but it's so expensive. Or, oh, we would love to become foster parents, but we just really don't know how to do that. Or we don't think we could ever do it. And so I kept hearing the same questions over and over. And I'm like, I know the answers to all of those questions. And I've done both. And it is very possible. I am not like a superhuman or anybody special at all. And so my friend Holly and I decided to start a foundation to do two things. The first is to give people direction in whatever the journey is that they're going to pursue. So people get directed to us all the time and they're, you know, will tell us like what they're thinking and kind of what path they want to go. And we can tell them all their options, get them connected with starting to become a foster parent or referring them to different agencies. Um, And then the second thing we do is 
to help families raise money for adoption and really allow them to put their story out there for their community of friends and family to donate to their adoption story. And people are always surprised about how willing people are to be a part of that. And, you know, it's because people love to give and they want to be a part of adoption, even if they're not necessarily going to adopt themselves. So it's been a really great way. It's totally grassroots. You know, it's kind of our side, like, extra thing that we do. Um, And the really cool thing about it is um, my friend Holly, her daughter is our daughter's half-sister. So we're also, we're friends, but we're kind of family because of that. And um, we named the foundation the Promise Love Foundation because our the foster baby that we had that we love so much, her actual name is Promise Love. So it's all, you know, kind of crazy and one of those things you just put out there and see where it goes and, again, like take steps to move it forward and it keeps moving forward. So... That's, that's absolutely beautiful, and I love that you've created that resource. We'll make sure as well to link to the Promise Love Foundation in the show notes, as along with Wedding Wiz, um, and then your website as well. Go ahead and share, actually, your website, your photography website, and also where our listeners can find you on Instagram. My photography website is carriewilds.com, C-A-R-R-I-E-W-I-L-D-E-S, and my Instagram and Facebook is at Carrie Wilds also. So it's easy. Perfect. And we'll make sure to link to all those in the show notes. But thank you again, Carrie, for making time for the Boca podcast and sharing your, your wealth of knowledge with us. And, and um, I, I know that our listeners will benefit from the, um, the logical side of things as well, not just the artistic side. So thank you for, for doing this for us. Well, thanks so much for having me. I, it's, it's so fun to like actually be on one of your podcasts because I love listening to them so I really appreciate you know your time and asking me all these fun questions and having this conversation I really enjoyed it absolutely thanks so much for listening to the Boca podcast today we let us know what you think by leaving a review of the podcast in iTunes or maybe in the Apple podcast app And I'd love to hear from you personally with your thoughts about the podcast, maybe suggestions about future topics and guests for the show. My direct email is nathan at photographersedit.com. The Boca Podcast is brought to you by Photographers Edit, custom image editing for the wedding and portrait photographer. Just visit photographersedit.com.